A few years ago, I was taping the video curriculum for the Cherish book. Zondervan rented a place in Crockett, Texas. I don't know if any of you have been to Crockett. Basically has a subway, a little grocery store, and a gas station. That's Crockett, Texas. Really nothing there, but I remember in between the shoots, I saw something I'd never seen when they were moving the cameras and resetting the lights. I was looking out at this pasture. They'd rented this whole house on a ranch, and there was this sheep and a horse that were together everywhere. I never saw them apart. The entire three days I was there, if the horse was there, the sheep was there. If the sheep was there, the horse was there. I'd never heard of a friendship between a sheep and a horse. I think I have a picture of them right, right behind me. I mean, you, you never, not one second saw them apart, and I just didn't get it. So the owner came in just to check how things were going, day two or three, and I asked him about it, and he just laughed. He said, when we bought this a few years back, there were a bunch of sheep out there, and we didn't stay here, and we'd come back, and we'd notice there'd be a few less sheep here and there. We finally realized after a while that, that coyotes were coming in and taking off the sheep one by one. This is the only sheep left. And he figured out, if I stay by this horse, I live, all right? If I leave him, not so much. And so he got very smart, and wherever that horse goes, he goes. He sleeps with the horse, he follows the horse, and he's the only sheep that's still alive. He found out physically what we need to know spiritually. There are spiritual coyotes that are just salivating to take us out. You may not know the attacks that are coming. You see people dropping left and right in front of you, around you, outside of you. It may be you already know what the coyote is. You may not hear about it till next week or next month. They're circling and they're coming. In a spiritually and sometimes physically hostile world, how do we find peace? Well, that sheep actually gives us a picture. We find a protector. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about in our passage this morning. We're going to Philippians 4, uh, starting with verse 5b, and we'll go through 7. We're in our series, All Things New, and this morning it's new peace. Here's Philippians 4, 5b through 7. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Everything hinges on 5b. The Lord is near. That's our protector. In the terms of the sheep, that's our horse. Paul's saying, the Lord is near, so everything I'm about to tell you now takes place. Because God is near, I can avoid anxiety. I grew up in the neighborhood. It wasn't the best of neighborhoods. It wasn't anything like an inner city neighborhood. I mean, there weren't guns and knives. There were drugs, and there were a lot of fights. As a young boy, I didn't like to fight. Sometimes I had to. It was just sort of that kind of neighborhood. If somebody's hitting you, you got to do something, right? But I always loved it when my older brother would be playing with us in the backyard. He's literally an Eagle Scout, the best big brother any guy could ever hope for. Everybody in the neighborhood respected him. Now, he was older, so he wasn't with us that often. But when he was, I just know it's a better day. There aren't going to be any fights. He'll control that. Everybody's going to play by the rules. Just with Jerry being near... I knew it was going to be a better day. And Paul says, it's like that for us with life. When we remember that the Lord is near, 
It's a better day. And everything about the life of Jesus in the New Testament testifies and demonstrates to that fact. Even before Jesus started his public ministry, he's at a wedding. They run out of wine. Very embarrassing. Mary doesn't panic. She doesn't freak out. She just tells the officials, hey, Jesus is near. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Jesus took care of it. A couple years later, thousands of people wandering around in a desolate place, hungry, not much there. One boy's got a couple loaves of bread and some fish. Because Jesus is near, everybody feasts. Except for gluten-free vegans, they were out of luck. Anybody else actually had a great meal. A woman bleeding for 17 years. Doctor after doctor said, I can't help you, I can't help you. What does she say? If I can just get near to Jesus, if I can get near enough to Jesus to touch him, I'll be well. And she did. And she was. And the scariest thing of all, death. Lazarus dies. Mary and Martha are heartbroken. If you were here, he would not have died. If you were near, this wouldn't have happened. But I'm here now. And Jesus being near, what happens? Lazarus rises from the dead and death itself is defeated. Why do I pick these four passages? There are dozens I could have picked. Look at, put them together. Jesus takes care of wine, which we could call taking care of our pleasure. He provides food for the non-gluten-free vegans. Provides health for the sick where doctors are at their end. And he provides life itself. When Jesus is near, everything we really need is taken care of. What, this is the hope. Whatever the need, Jesus has already met it. And if he has met it once, he can do it again. The Lord is near. And when I remember there isn't a challenge on this planet that Jesus hasn't already met, then I can actually do what Paul says in the next sentence. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, some of us are more prone to worry than others. I'm probably on the scale of worrying more than I should. In fact, when the Bible says don't worry... I worry about whether I'm worrying. <laughs> I don't want to worry, God. You tell me not to. Am I worried? Am I worried? And this is so, this is so <laughs> humiliating. On Thursday, I'm running in Memorial Park, praying about this, trying to get ready. And I'm so convicted by God's spirit. Basically telling me, Gary, do you realize you're worrying about whether your sermon on not worrying is any good? <laughs> I'm convicted. I mean, I, we don't always preach where we're strong. We preach where the passage takes us. But Paul says, to counteract this, I can't just stop worrying, but he gives me something I can do to counteract the worrying, and that something is to give my request to God. Rebecca Wilkie had to face this during a down market in California. They were trying to sell their house. They needed to sell their house. They needed to sell it fast. Had two junior high boys, they wanted them to be in a certain school district, started in September. If they didn't sell their house within a couple weeks, they were going to miss that deadline. And she's got all that's going on, all that's on a mom's and wife's shoulders as she's trying to deal with that, trying to keep the house clean with two junior high boys in order to show it. And she gets a frantic call from a realtor just after breakfast when the house is at its messiest. Hey, I've got a couple. I think they're pretty serious, but they've, they've got a tight schedule. Can I bring them by in 30 minutes? Rebecca's like, you got to be kidding me. So she's throwing everything in a closet, doing everything she can, trying to clean it up. 
runs out the door just as the realtor shows up, driving to a coffee shop. She's still got her own work to get done, but she's got her laptop. She's driving to the coffee shop, and she's so tense. She looks at her knuckles, and they're literally white on the steering wheel. I mean, she's so, she's just gripping the steering wheel with these white knuckles. And it was like the Spirit of God spoke to her and said, Rebecca, look at your knuckles. They're white. I want you to live this way. And here's what happened. Here's what Rebecca says. At that moment, I realized I wasn't really trusting God to do his work in his time. Instead, I was angry, frustrated, and gripping tightly to worldly matters instead of trusting my heavenly Father to handle things. With the light still red in front of me, I released my hands and lifted them up in a prayer of forgiveness. I let the Lord know right then and there how sorry I was for my lack of faith. As I did so, I relaxed for the first time in weeks. I felt a wave of peace sweep over me. And by the time the light switched to green, I was more than ready to move forward with my father fully at the controls. I gave this line out eight years ago. I checked. I wish I could repeat it every year. We have two choices in life. We can live this life with white knuckles or red knees. That's what Paul suggested. Are we going to live life with white knuckles where I've got to be in control? We're going to live with red knees where we give it up to God. White Knuckles says, I'm here, and it's up to me to make everything turn out right, and I'm going to get it done. Red knees, the Lord is near. I can't control, but I can trust. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. I'm praying that it becomes my default response to every situation. If there's a scary health diagnosis from a doctor, my first response would be, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Here's how, did you hear what your son did? The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Look, I just think we need to break up. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Alice, I'm sorry, we're having to make some cuts. COVID-19, we're going to have to let you go. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. If you forget everything I say today, if those seven words become your default response, whenever a spiritual coyote pokes up his head, you'll go far. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Look, when you drop your car off at a mechanic to get the brakes done, do you obsess about how he's doing it? Does he get the right brake pads in? Are they calibrated correct? I wonder if he forgot a bolt. No, I, I give my car to the mechanic. I pay my money. I immediately get on the freeway. I'm driving 68 miles per hour, fully confident the car will stop when I want it to stop. I paid the mechanic. I trust him. I gave my car to him. He's going to fix the brakes. If I can trust a mechanic, can I trust my God? If you trust your mechanic... Will you trust your God? The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about everything. Instead, he says, but everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. For too many of us, prayer is the last resort. What's our first resort? Panic. And then we bug all our friends. You got, what do I do? What do I got to do? And that doesn't work. 
So then we try to fix it, and that doesn't work. So we get a new circle of friends, and we wear them out. What do I do? Then we go to the professionals, and that doesn't work. And when all of that's blown up, what's our default response? Guess all we can do is pray. And it's, a, it's an act of resignation. I've tried everything else. It's almost like crossing my fingers or not stepping on a crap. We'll just pray, see what happens. And Paul's saying, no, prayer should be our first response, not the last one. It's what gives us confidence. And what this tells us, when it says in everything, in everything, present your request to God. This is a biblical command. Which means, I want you to take a step back, because this I think will really encourage you. It means God loves the sound of your voice. It's not a bother to him. He wants to hear from you. I'm speaking as an earthly father. I love the sounds of my kid's voice. My favorite sound would be my wife's voice. I hear on the phone just something when I'm on the road. It just lifts me up. Next to that, it's, it's my kids. I love to hear my kid's voice. Now, if you're a mother of toddlers, I get it if it's not, okay? Toddlers, why is the ball round? Why is water? Okay, that, that, let them grow up. You'll love the sound of your kid's voice. And I'll tell you what, I love to give my kids things. Even little things. My oldest daughter, she has this kind of gum she likes. Every time I go to a store, I'm looking for that gum because I just like to give it to her because I know she likes it. When my son visits from out of town... He's going to have General Mills Cheerios there because that's what he likes sometimes at breakfast, even though his, his mother cooks great meals. Sometimes he wakes up early for a run. He's going to have General Mills Cheerios because I know he likes it. My youngest daughter is still a runner. It took me a year to get her her watch, for her running watch for her birthday, but I just, I love these Garmin watches. They are an OCD runner's dream. They count steps every day. I can tell you how many steps I have. Lisa loves it because I'm always telling her how many steps I have. It just blesses her day. I got 10,000 steps and it's not even lunchtime. And, and, and I just wanted to give this watch to Kelsey because I love to hear my kid's voice. I love to do things for them and, and Paul is saying the same thing is true of our Heavenly Father. You're not a bother. And it's still hard for me to believe I'm not a bother to God. Sometimes I still don't want to take that. A, a couple weeks ago, we did a midweek thing. To We went to Austin, Texas for a couple days. And I know some people said, why, why would you go to Austin, Texas? I said, well, you know, sometimes it's just not hot enough in Houston in July. You know, you, you got to go a place that's really hot. We're just not really. They wanted rivers. They wanted some greenery. So we went out. Um, and one river we were at all day, uh, you hike about a mile down. And then there's this nice river and people are swimming in it. And so Lisa and Allison and our dog, little dog Quincy were swimming in the river. And then during that, Quincy bolted as he does. We had to track him down in the woods. We were running all over. We finally got him. Then we went on about a two-mile hike. We went down the trail and whatnot. So it was all day, and it was hot. We were tired, and now we're hiking back up this trail, about half a mile, three-quarters of a mile up. And Lisa notices that Quincy's collar is gone. And I'm looking at that, and she goes, it must have fallen off. And I'm thinking, we've been all over this river and this park I'll buy him another collar. I don't really care. I know, but all of his tags are on the collar. I mean, I, I suppose I could go to all those governmental agencies to get him replaced, fill out all that paperwork, or the assumption, or I could have a husband who would just try to go find it, right? 
And I thought, there's just no way. We've been all over. There's just no possible way. And he says, no, I know right where it happened. Remember when he started the bowls? I grabbed him right by the river. That rock we were sitting on, I'm sure the collar is right by that rock. I, I didn't believe her, but I love her, and I wanted to have a pleasant drive home, so I'm hiking down. <laughs> Lisa, Allison, and Kelsey keep going up, and I'm just like, this is so stupid. I am wasting my time. I find the rock where we were sitting on. Sure enough, it's not there. I'm looking all around. I could have fallen in the river. It could have been on the trail. And I don't, I don't want to pray because I'm just embarrassed. We, we've got big prayer requests going. We had a friend at the time was going through cancer treatment. A friend whose vocation was just been blown apart by COVID, just pleading with God to provide work for this person. Another friend, a wonderful couple. The guy is an incredible evangelist Given his life to serving God, his dad is near death, isn't a Christian yet. We're just pleading with God, please let him come to faith. All of these big prayers, and I don't want to dilute these big prayers. And so I'm just kind of saying, God, I, I don't really want to pray about finding this collar. I, I don't think it's possible. It could take hours. I don't know. But look, if, if you want to do a favor for my wife, and then look, this just doesn't happen to me, all right? You're going to think I've lost my mind, and that's okay. It doesn't happen to me, but it did. I just got like this little... Two-second vision. I could see Quincy running under a barbed wire fence and the collar coming off. Now, I didn't see that happen. I don't think so. I remembered he was running off in the woods, but I'm just thinking, no, no. That's just, that, that doesn't happen. It's too convenient. That, that can't be true. So I went up in the woods, and then I'm just, forget this. I mean, it's a forest back there. There's nothing I could see. I did see a barbed wire fence, but it's long. I didn't know where he was running. I'm like, I felt so stupid. God, this just isn't the way it works. Until I just sensed, look left. I looked left. I saw a little collar with tags. And I think it was just God's way of saying, Gary, you're not a bother. Just ask. Not a, look, I don't have miraculous prayers like that all the time. Okay? Don't, don't ask me to go find your, your, your things that you've lost. Because so often, it, but in this case, I think it was God just reinforcing it. I like to hear your voice. You're not about how many of you feel like me that sometimes you're a bother. And God is saying, give me a chance. And when we give God a chance, this is what's so exciting. It says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what we need, and this is what God is offering. I don't understand why everybody doesn't want this, why we can hope when others despair. Why wouldn't we want to be the people who can keep our heads up when other people give up? And the reason is because we have a hope that's beyond understanding. If you don't have Jesus, you don't know this hope. You don't know this peace. It surpasses all understanding, which means it doesn't always make sense. The difference is that the peace of this world is seen as deliverance from tribulation. That's when people think of peace. There's no tribulation. There's nothing untoward in their life. The peace of God is deliverance from anxiety. That's a very different thing. In fact, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. See, Jesus could fix everything and he has fixed everything in one sense, but he may not fix your particular thing. 
do you still have peace if you have tribulation? The peace of God is that the Lord is near, not that all problems are far away. We get that? The peace of God is that the Lord is near, not that all problems are far away. A peace that passes all understanding means that not everything has to be fixed for you to experience it. Do you have one thing where if this isn't right, if God doesn't change this, I have no peace with God, you don't have the peace of God. You're seeking the peace of the world. A couple weeks ago, we were taking a walk with this Quincy that I've mentioned, the famous Quincy now. If we could put up his picture. Little guy. Cavalier, King Charles. The most emotionally needy creature that God ever created. Adorable, fun, but man, he's emotionally needy. And he's not big. You can see he's just a little guy, about 14 pounds. So we're walking along the heights on a very public hike and bike trail, very well used. And a guy comes around the corner, and he's got two big boxers. They are hip high. They might have something else in them. They're not on a leash. And they see my little Quincy, and they're salivating, all right? This is little, little dinner for them. And I can't believe, and he's trying to control them, stay, stay, but he's not, I mean, because he's got one and one's going like there. I scoop up Quincy, and I'm like, guy, this is not cool. There's a leash law here. Those dogs aren't under control. He goes, I got him under control, stay, stay. I go, it doesn't look like it to me. And he goes, if you'll just get your dog out of here, it'll be okay. I'm like, my dog's on a leash. This is a public sidewalk. There's a leash lot. My dog isn't the problem. You shouldn't do that. There are other kids around. He goes, just get your dog out of here and everything will be fine. I mean, he's panicking at this point. Lisa's pulling me away. We get away. I put Quincy back down. And Lisa's like, Phew. in 36 years of marriage, I've never seen you come that close to getting in a fight. I thought she was impressed until she added, and I didn't like your chances. I'm sure she meant, I'm sure she meant, he's got two dot boxers next to him. I got little Quincy, I'm sure that's what she meant, is that the boxers and Quincy, you know, it just wasn't a contest. But I, I want you to catch this, I'm not a contentious person. I don't get in little fights. She's been married to me over 35 years, it doesn't happen. But here's the thing, you mess with my dog. <laughs> I love dogs. I really love Quincy. He's so emotionally needy. He needs the protection. You mess with my dog, you and I, we're going to have a problem. I'm not, I'm not going to fight you if something comes up. But you mess with my dog, we might have an issue. And I'm not apologizing for that. I don't want you to get that wrong, all right? I, he, he's not doing what he should be doing. But I want to make this a spiritual analogy, analogy. Some of us, when it comes to peace with God, say, God, you and I, we have peace. As long as you don't question my vocation or threaten my finances, you and I, we're good. You can hit anything else. You keep your hands off my finances and my vocation. God, I'm fine. You can have this challenge, that temptation. Don't mess with my health. I have nothing if I don't. You don't get to challenge me there. God, I'm good with you as long as my family members are all healthy and in right standing with you, that they're all saved and they're all following you. We're fine, but you mess with my family. You and I, we're, we're going to have a problem and Paul is saying, we don't get a Quincy. We don't get an exception. In everything, give thanks. It, it, don't be anxious about anything. The peace of God isn't situational. We don't get a Quincy. We don't get an exception. It's 
based on the fact that God is near, not that everything is solved. Here's what's so key behind this. And this, this is fascinating. If you go back historically, when Paul grew up, not at the time he wrote this, but when he grew up, the emperor of Rome was Augustus. That's why we call August, August. You might not know that. That's why we call July, July from Julius Caesar's Roman emperors, right? They got their names. Augustus launched about a 200-year period in Rome called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The idea was that Rome was so powerful If everybody would just submit to Rome, everybody will be peaceful, right? Because you don't want to mess up with Rome. You don't want Rome's anger. Because Rome reigned, there was unusual peace. Paul, in a Roman prison, with Roman power, keeping him in a dungeon, in an incredibly revolutionary act, is saying, it's not Pax Romana. It's Pax Christus. It's the peace of Christ. The worldly powers might seem so strong, but we find our peace with God, not with worldly powers. And then he goes on to say this. This is so key. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There was a Roman garrison outside Philippi. Basically, it was Rome saying, they put a garrison outside of a city. They're saying, we have taken Philippi under our control. To attack Philippi is to attack Rome. Nobody's going to attack Rome, so they're going to leave Philippi alone. That's Pax Romana. And Paul is saying, that's what the peace of God does. It guards our hearts and minds. Clever word play, because you have peace being militarily guarding something. But Paul was brilliant in a lot of ways. But he's basically saying, God's peace guards our hearts and our minds like the Roman garrison guards Philippi. This was written 2,000 years ago, but I don't know that it's ever been more relevant than in 2020. Has it? The level of anxiety, the level of concern, what we need Our children need this. We need this. They've shown, studies have shown that people in less developed nations with more financial security, more luxuries, have far less anxiety than U.S. citizens until, catch this, until they immigrate to the United States, then they become just as anxious about life as we are in the U.S., And they're not sure why. And our kids are paying a price. Psychologist Robert Leahy says this. The average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. As a pastor, I'm getting videos every other week about how we deal with anxiety with teens and children today. They need parents who have become default. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about everything, that we are rooted in the peace of God. We may feel like sheep, and we see that sheep getting picked off, and that sheep getting picked off, and that sheep getting picked off. But there's something we can do. We can run to our protector, the Lord who is near, and we can find freedom from anxiety. Look, if you are young, and you're worried about your future, you're middle-aged, and you're worried about your children's future... You're getting up there. You don't know if you have much of a future. The same response. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. How many of you know a control freak or you are a control freak? 
Right? You're not admitting because it's nice. What are two things that are true that control freaks don't have? They don't have control and they don't have peace. Life can't be controlled. Things happen that we can't control. If you're a control freak, you know this. You don't have control, and you certainly don't have peace. So nobody's going to have control, but what you can do is choose to have peace. Control's a myth. Peace isn't. Peace is born when we say, my job isn't to be in control. That's God's job. My job is to trust God who's in control. And that's what you can do. That's how you go from having white knuckles to red knees. You realize, whether I want to try to have control or not, that's not going to happen. But I can have peace. Do you have the peace of God today? So how how do I get it if I don't? The last three words in this passage, in Christ Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. This isn't peace that comes from meditation. It's not peace that comes from Stoic philosophy. It's peace from having that protector, Jesus. The Lord is near. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If you don't know this Jesus, you don't know this peace because it surpasses all understanding. You have to know him to know it. And we'll talk about that in just a second after we're done here. Maybe some of you, you know Jesus, but you don't know this peace because you've forgotten that the Lord is near. You're acting like he's far off, that he's too busy, or that you're a bother. And so you don't go to him. And your response is to say, Lord, I want to get near to you again so that I cannot be anxious about anything and if you're one of those control freaks give up the white knuckles get the red knees and know the peace that passes all understanding leanne and ben drew were driving from their house to a neighborhood pool they weren't going out of their development so they're driving very slowly leanne was driving and she's driving so slowly that the automatic door locks didn't activate which is why she was shocked when she saw the back door open and her little two-year-old son Noah fall out. Then the worst sound of her life, she heard and felt a bump. A 5,000-pound SUV ran over her two-year-old boy. She slams on the brakes. Ben jumps out. He sees Noah all bloody, violently shaking. But he says to Leanne, he's alive. Get in the passenger seat. She ran around. He handed Noah to her. He goes to the hospital just driving as fast as he can. They get to the doctors. And they're there shocked. They check him all out. He's got some cuts. He's got some bruises. No broken bones. No lasting damage. They couldn't figure out how this happened. That night, Leanne is holding little Noah in the dark. She thought she was going to lose him. She's going to hold him until he went to sleep. And right before he did, he said, Mama, yeah, Noah, Jesus catched me. He did? Yes. I told him, thank you. And he said, you're very welcome. And he fell asleep. The next day, Leanne... (laughs) She wanted to figure out what was going on. What what, what did you mean, Noah? And he goes, 
Mommy, he catched me. He had brown hair and these brown hands. And he put his arms out like this. And when I fell, he catched me. And they wanted to know more. And he wasn't going to have it. He told them what he had to tell them. But that night, when he said his goodnight prayers, the last thing he prayed is, thank you, Jesus, for catching me. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Will you say this with me? The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. 